Hello, world. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Do we really believe that God is in control? Well, you know, probably so. We would agree to that. Do we really believe that God is good? Uh, here's why I, here's why I bring this up. Hey, hopeful. Welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, which is the part of our journey together where we commit together to reading through every word of God's revelation of himself Monday through Saturday and consider our own life and work stories in light of that, including just a bit of housekeeping. Keeping it real here on a family Friday, still tackling, still fighting that tickle in my throat thing, obviously. And for those of you praying about my most recent interview for a church pastor role, thank you. It went well. I trust that it will work out the way that it is supposed to work out. Definitely loved them. We'll see where that goes. But my friends, every one of us have expectations or desires about how we think life should go. The challenge is that when it doesn't go the way we think it should go, even when something heinous happens, or particularly when something heinous happens, it is tempting to think that our opinion is more important than God's opinion. We know that God's in control, so why did this evil thing happen? And it is hard to admit, but when we blame God, we actually are elevating our own moral complaint over God's goodness. Now, in our New Testament reading today, coming up, we're in the middle of a big fat mess in Jerusalem, and Paul is dealing with God being in control, even though Paul is going through some junk. Now, yesterday we heard that, in a sense, God is in control even when people are going through trials, and we heard about God using an unnamed nephew of Paul's to thwart a plot. And we're going to hear a couple more little chunks about God using other people to affect his own ends, right? So what we just got done hearing was that the commander of the Roman army has just dismissed said nephew, telling him to tell no one else that he told the commander this. And we pick up in chapter 23 of Acts, beginning in verse 23. He summoned two of his centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready with 70 cavalry and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Also provide mounts to ride so that Paul may be brought safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote the following letter. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. When this man had been seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, I arrived with my troops and rescued him because I learned that he is a Roman citizen. Pause. Remember that he didn't discover Paul was a Roman citizen until after he was about ready to whip him, right? Remember? Going to make himself look good here. I rescued him because he's a Roman citizen. Wanting to know the charge they were accusing him of, I brought him down before their Sanhedrin. I found out that the accusations were concerning questions of their law and that there was no charge that merited death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there was a plot against the man, I sent him to you right away. I also ordered his accusers to state their case against him in your presence. So the soldiers took Paul during the night and brought him to Antipatris, as they were ordered, 
The next day they returned to the barracks, allowing the cavalry to go on with him. And when these men entered Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. After he read it, he asked what province he was from, and when he learned he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing whenever your accusers also get here. He ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Chapter 24. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, came down with some elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. These men presented their case against Paul to the governor, and when Paul was called in, Tertullus began to accuse him and said, We enjoy great peace because of you, and reforms are taking place for the benefit of this nation because of your foresight. We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, that most excellent Felix, with utmost gratitude, but so that I will not burden you any further, I request that you be kind enough to give us a brief hearing. For we have found, it sounds like a lawyer, right? For we have found this man to be a plague, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the Roman world and a ringleader of a sect called the Nazarenes. And he even tried to desecrate the temple, so we apprehended him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to discern the truth about these charges we are bringing against him. And my friends, then the Jews also joined in the attack, alleging that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, Because I know you have been a judge of this nation for many years, I am glad to offer my defense in what concerns me. You can verify for yourself that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They didn't find me arguing with anyone or causing a disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city. Neither can they prove the charges they are now making against me. But I admit this to you, I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way which they call a sect, believing everything that, that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, in which these men themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection, both of the unrighteous and the righteous. I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. After many years, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people. While I was doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually purified in the temple without a crowd and without any uproar. And it is they who ought to be here before you and to bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these men here state what they're, or let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Other than this one statement I shouted while standing among them when I said, Today I am on trial before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. Now, since Felix was well informed about the way, capital W, remember that's what they called the earliest Christians, since Felix was well informed about the way, he adjourned the hearing, saying, When Lysias comes, the commander comes down, I will decide your case. He ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard, though he could, ha could have some freedom, and that he should not prevent any of his friends from meeting his needs. Several days later, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. Now, as he spoke about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, Leave, leave for now. But when I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. At the same time, he was also hoping that Paul would offer him money. So he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. After, catch this, after two years had passed, 
Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. And my friends, that gets us up through chapter 24. So, God uses not just the unnamed nephew, but God also now has used Lysias, the commander of the army, and then the whole Roman army to transport Paul keeps him safe. Remember, my friends, like Paul, we can be a faithful witness even in stressful situations. And what Paul models here is trusting that God knows best even when circumstances, yeah, frankly, suck. <laughs> in our Old Testament segment today, turning back, uh, today we begin the book of Ruth, a book famously known for God acting responsibly and carrying out his plan. Now, importantly, consider where we just came from in the book of Judges, right? The people forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped other various gods of the peoples around them against orders, provoked um, God to anger, right? Who sent enemies against them and the people then experienced great distress and in their distress, they cry out to the Lord and in response, the Lord raises up judges, rescuing leaders, right? Who saved them out of the hands of their enemies. But when the judge died, the people returned to their rebellious ways, forsaking the Lord and rinse and repeat, right? As you're going to hear, there's a famine in the land. Why? Well, remember that one of the explicit consequences enumerated in the curses in Leviticus, right? Here's the blessings if you follow God, and here's the curses if you don't. One of the explicit consequences was famine, being able to feed, you know, having flourishing and abundance. Yet, here we are, and we are about to hear that the dilemma that will eventually be overcome by Yahweh's providential care toward his people is to be dealt with by who? Yeah, by Yahweh. He will empower the covenant faithfulness of his people, especially Ruth and Boaz. Ruth chapter 1. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Machlon and Chelion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took, a Moab, took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. And after they had lived in Moab about ten years... Both Mahlon and Hilion also died, and the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she heard in Moab uh, that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, each of you, go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. And she kissed them, and they wept loudly. Now they said to her, 
We insist on returning to, with your pe- with you to your people. But Naomi replied, no, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have, a, even, to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, go. My life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her and the two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughters-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess, and they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, and he was a very prominent man of noble character with from Elimelech's family, and his name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the fields to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, Who is in charge of the harvesters? Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting, and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you, so that you notice me? although I am a foreigner. Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since you have since your husband's death has been fully reported to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and how you came to, your, to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward for the Lord God of Israel, from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, If I have found favor with you, 
I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, Come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather a grain, Boaz ordered his young men, Let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you gather barley today, and where did you work? May the Lord bless you, the man who took notice of you. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, The name of the man I worked with was Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him, because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, This man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Ruth, the Moabite, has said, He also told me, Stay with my young men until they have finished all my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law Ruth, My daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. That's Ruth 1 and 2. Sorry for the rough reading. Kind of rough between the ears today. But uh, last thought, control and trust, and goodness, right? Is God in control? Yeah. Is God good? Yeah. Do we trust it? Do we trust him? My friends, let me just pray for us and close us up for this Friday. Lord, it is not always easy. Lord, whether we're waiting on answered prayer or something awful happens in our family, Lord, many times we look around us and just notice the mess in the world, and sometimes it affects us very, very personally. But Lord, I pray that we would recognize that that you see things we don't see, that you have plans that we don't understand, and Lord, that you will set all things right, and that whatever we experience in this life will pale in comparison to eternity with you. We love you, Lord. And my friends, I love you. Amen. Amen.